Welcome, church. Let's talk about the future. Wouldn't it be great to know the future? People go to many extremes to try to know the future. They'll go to psychic hotlines. They'll go to palm readers. They'll read the daily horoscope. Maybe you read your daily horoscope thinking, eh, I don't really believe in it, but hey, that sounds cool right there. So we want to know the future. People try to interpret the stars in the sky. People go to TV shows. If we could just know the future. Maybe I told you about the lady who wanted to marry four different men in her lifetime. She said these four men would help her with her four most important needs. First, she wanted to marry a banker. Then she wanted to marry a movie star. And then she wanted to marry a minister. And then she wanted to marry a funeral director. And when asked why, she said... One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Wouldn't it be great to know the future? Wouldn't it be great planning your retirement if if you knew what the stock market was going to do? Wouldn't it be great if we knew who the next president would be? Wouldn't it be great if we knew if, when, ever the Dallas Cowboys might win another Super Bowl? (laughs) if only we could know the future but we don't we don't know the future i can't tell you the future regarding a relationship you may or may not be in i can't tell you the future regarding your children i can't tell you the future regarding your job i can't tell you the future regarding who you might marry i can't tell you the future regarding whatever ails you but here's what i do know I can tell you this in the future. Jesus is coming back. I know that for a fact. In fact, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, you know very well. We spent five chapters, all five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. He said, you know very well. I know Jesus is coming back not because what I read in the horoscope. I know Jesus is coming back not because the stars are perfectly aligned with Jupiter. I know Jesus is coming back not because some psychic hotline. I know Jesus is coming back because the Bible says so. And I believe, and I think you believe, that the Bible is the Word of God and that the Bible is truth. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back. We conclude our series today, First and Second Thessalonians, preparing for the second coming. We're just going to look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1 today. But before we do, let me tell you again about the doctrine of the second coming. Just some statistics about the second coming of Jesus. The Bible talks about the second coming eight times more than the first coming. The doctrine of the return of Christ is mentioned more than any other doctrine in the New Testament. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the second coming. 7 out of 10 chapters. 1 out of every 30 verses. There's 216 chapters in the New Testament. There's 318 references to the second coming of Jesus. We sing the song, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon, and that's what messes us up. That's where we have a hang-up. Because we don't know when. And we want to know when. It bothers us. It disturbs us. If God could just tell us, if we just knew, we could prepare a whole lot better, but we don't know the future. But many people through the years, through the decades, through the centuries have tried to predict His coming. 
Maybe you've read before about this guy named um, William Miller. He was a farmer back in the 1800s, and he started a religion, and they were called the Millerites. Pretty original. One of the marks of his religion was he believed in the return of Christ, which is nothing new, but he predicted it, and he preached it, and he would set dates for it, and he put a pencil to Scripture, and he did all of the dates, and he made all the calculations, and they would announce a date and say, Jesus is coming, and Jesus didn't come. And he'd recalculate, and he'd set another date and say, Jesus is coming, it's the end of the world, and Jesus wouldn't come. He was notorious for setting dates regarding the return of Christ. The Millerites believed that Christ would return in their lifetime, and so they would ready themselves for that return. On one particular occasion, a group of about 200 Millerites, they sold all their possessions or they gave away their possessions. In fact, they even got their wardrobes ready and dressed in white, waiting for the return of Christ. And He didn't come. They waited, they waited, they waited. William Miller waited, and he died, never to see the return of Christ in his lifetime. The Millerites are not the only religious group to predict the second coming. There's been a lot of religious groups that have done that. There have been a lot of individuals who have done that. Interesting thing about many people, they get so upset with the last days that they forget to live in these days. Some people will tell you that Jesus is coming, but they live like He never will. Listen, folks, I I don't get wrapped up in trying to determine the when. I don't think that's our place. Remember what Jesus said? No one knows. No one knows about the day or the hour. The angels don't know. Jesus Himself doesn't know. So anybody who puts himself or herself in the place of saying, I know when, you're putting yourself in a place that not even Jesus knows. Jesus said, only God knows. So let me give you a little context for 2 Thessalonians. We just finished 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, they were concerned and had questions, what about the people who've already died? Much like the Millerites, they thought Jesus is going to come in our lifetime. And when people started dying, they had some questions. What's going to happen to those who've already died? In 2 Thessalonians... There were some inaccurate reports that were going around saying, He came and you missed it. So they were concerned. In the midst of persecution, they were concerned. In the midst of suffering, they were concerned. And so to encourage them in the midst of suffering, and to encourage them in the midst of persecution, again, He reminds them, Hey, Jesus is coming back. So much so that some of them thought, If Jesus is coming back in my lifetime, I don't need to go to work tomorrow. I don't need to work at all. And they wouldn't plant crops and they were living off of other people. And Paul had some things to say about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You can read that yourself. Here's how he starts 2 Thessalonians 1. Among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction 
and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So that's how he starts out this letter. And he says, God is just. I like another translation. God is going to do what is right. And we want God to do what is right. So when will Jesus come back? We don't know. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? He just tells us. Let me share a few. The first he says he's going to reward. God's going to do the right thing. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now remember what's going on in their lives. There's perseverance. There's persecutions. There's trials. There's suffering. It's the first century. It's the Roman Empire. They're being thrown to the lions. They're being thrown in the arena. They're dying because they're Christians. They're an illegal church, an illegal religion, and in the midst of all their suffering, he wants them to know that they will be counted worthy. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to everyone according to what he's done. So when Jesus comes back, he will reward. Here's the second thing he says. When Jesus comes back, he's going to pay back. I'm going to keep saying, God's going to do the right thing. God's going to do the right thing. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. I think one of the difficulties of the Christian life is all of the injustices we see and all of the evil we see. And we want God to do something about it. And God, why don't you do something about it right now? All the injustices and evil and terrorism and all those who cause trouble. And sometimes you might wonder, why? Why is God allowing this to happen? Paul says when Jesus comes back, he'll pay back. All of the evil and all the injustices. And we might be thinking, are they going to get away with it? Are people on this earth just going to get away with it? He'll pay back. Are they going to get away with it? They'll pay back. In the first century, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the dying, in the midst of everything they were going through, is God going to do something about it? He will pay back. Maybe you've been driving down the road before and someone just drives right by you. Reckless, all over the road. They're endangering themselves, they're endangering others, and you find yourself saying, where's a cop when you need one? Sometimes Christians say, with all of the evil and the injustices, where's God when you need one? And Paul reminds us, God will do the right thing. He will pay back. Even the prophet Habakkuk asked those questions way back in the Old Testament. We ask those questions today, where is God? That's not a new question. We read in Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence and you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Where is God when you need Him? Habakkuk cries out, Why don't you come down and do something just like people do today, just like Christians do today? And here's what Paul says. Listen, God's going to do the right thing. They're not going to get away with it. They're not going to get away with it. We may still suffer. We may still be persecuted. But God will pay back. Jesus is coming back. 
and he will pay back those who trouble you and those who have done you wrong. Here's what else is going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's going to give relief. When Jesus comes back, he will give relief. Have you ever had someone trouble you? Ever had someone slander you? Ever had someone verbally abuse you? Ever have someone mock you for being a Christian? Ever had someone just seem to make your life miserable every day? When Jesus comes back, He's going to give you relief. He'll give relief. Paul tells this in his letter to, in 1 Corinthians. He says, we're, we're going to get a new body. Part of relief is we're going to get a new body. If you read in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to get a new body. That ought to excite us more than anything else in the world. We're going to get a new body. So, I don't know what kind of pain you're going through. Maybe you've got back pain, leg pain, arm pain, body pain, cancer pain, sickness pain. Maybe, maybe you've got the pain of a broken heart. Maybe you've got the pain of loneliness. You need some relief today. When Jesus comes back, He's going to give relief. And tied up in that word, part of the definition of that word is rest. When Jesus comes back, He's going to give us rest. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? I don't know how you want to define rest. I don't know how you want to picture rest. But he will give relief and rest. Here's what happens when Jesus is going to come back. God's going to do the right thing. He's going to punish those who do not know God and do not, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now, we live in a world that doesn't believe that, struggles to believe that. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe these verses. Maybe you've never read these verses. There's a lot of people that don't believe this. Here's some statistics on what the world believes. 72% of Americans believe in heaven, and they define that as a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. 58% of U.S. adults also believe in hell, defined as a place where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. Different research. 88% of people believe they're going to be in heaven after they die. One more research. Time Magazine, they asked people the following question. You believe in the existence of heaven? 81% yes. Do you believe in the existence of a hell? 63% yes. Immediately after death, what will happen to you? 61% said they'd go to heaven. Only 1% said they'd go to hell. Only 1%. Now that's what the world believes, but that's not what Paul says here. Paul says, God's going to do the right thing. And we struggle with understanding what God doing the right thing is. God's going to do the right thing. These are some of the most descriptive words in the New Testament. He will punish with everlasting destruction and they will be shut out. But again, that's, that's not what the world thinks and that's not what a lot of Christians think. I mean, how can a loving God do that? How can a loving God judge people like that? How can a loving God send people to hell? God's going to do the right thing. We want God to do the right thing. He will punish. In the original language, it says, He will take vengeance. The purpose of vengeance is to satisfy God's law. 
And God is just, and we want Him to be just, and so He's going to take vengeance. So people who don't think a loving God will punish don't understand the holiness of God and the justness of God. Because God is holy, He's going to do the right thing. Because God is holy, it's a righteous thing for Him to punish. Because God is holy, He can't leave sin unpunished. And because He is holy and because He's righteous, He sent His Son. He sent Jesus because of all of the evil and the injustices and those who trouble us. He sent Jesus for that very reason. God's going to do the right thing. But listen, here's the good news. He's already told us the good news in 1 Thessalonians. God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. The people who think God's just wanting to send everybody to hell, God, God doesn't want to send everybody to hell. In fact, I don't believe God sends people to hell. The way I read Scripture is, me and you send ourselves to hell. Based on how we live and decisions we make, we determine our eternal destiny. I believe that. And I believe you can change your eternal destiny today by being obedient to Jesus. But here's what he says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. God wants us to receive salvation. God wants all people to be saved. Here's what Peter writes. God's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Maybe you need to see that. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. God's not wanting to send you to hell. God doesn't send you to hell. God doesn't want you to perish. For God so loved the world, He gave His Son so that we wouldn't have condemnation, so that we wouldn't have eternal punishment, so we wouldn't spend eternity in hell. That's because God's going to do the right thing. And that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Listen, church, God wants us to live like Jesus is coming back. And whether He comes today or tomorrow or in the days and months or even years ahead, He wants us to be prepared. So we're going to sing a song that we sang a couple of weeks ago. We're going to sing a song because it illustrates what we need to believe and know. And we're going to sing a song because... The two gentlemen who were baptized today asked us to sing this song, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Can you imagine if you lived in the first century and you didn't know if you were going to live and die tomorrow or being thrown into the arena tomorrow? Or Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. No matter what comes your way, you can face tomorrow. No matter what suffering, no matter what persecution, because He lives, because He died on the cross, you can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. I don't know the future other than Jesus is coming back. But I know who holds the future and life is worth the living. Just because He lives. Let's stand and sing.